Hello and welcome to the Sync AI Tech Crack Podcast. On this podcast, you'll hear fascinating insights from all different levels of the AI tech community. To find out more, join us on our socials or on our website at syncni.com. But for now, I'd welcome you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the latest views of the AI tech scene. I'm your host, John, and my guests for this episode are Julian Woods from Amazon Web Services and Dave Anderson from Globalization Partners and head of the organizing committee for Serverless Days Belfast. Lego, Dunelm, and a host of technology companies, what do they all have in common? My guests today will be answering that. Welcome to the Tech Crack Podcast, Dave Anderson and Gillian Wood. Guys, thank you very much for coming on here. Gillian, I'm going to kick the first question off with yourself. So serverless technologies, is there a difference between serverless and the cloud? And if there is, how would you distinguish between the two? Hi there, Well, Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question because I think the, the cloud and serverless are both in a way, terrible terms. <laughs> We've sort of come to understand what the cloud can mean, but you know it's taken many, many years. Um, and cloud can also mean different things to different people. But you know, in the bigger kind of picture, it is maybe using services possibly over the internet, where it's an outsource service, and you are able just to take advantage for a cloud uh, of a cloud provider's services that can range from anything. And this this can be at the very low level from virtual machines to networking to storage to really sort of base building blocks all the way up to machine learning and to yeah things like serverless and you know artificial intelligence cool stuff and IoT and robotics and you know any kind of thing literally any kind of uh, any kind of technology that can run on the cloud. But you know a cloud is a service provider offering a service that you can consume. Where serverless comes in is it's a slightly different take on that. And serverless is much, I would say serverless is probably much easier on the cloud because a serverless way of building things is where you're not as concerned about the infrastructure and operating systems and patching and some of the scaling and some of the uh, fixed cost controls that you have with maybe a traditional way of running applications. And by traditional, I mean, uh, you know, using virtual machines, maybe some of the container technologies as well. The idea of serverless is to abstract all of that so as a consumer, you have less to worry about, less to look after, and that gives you a real superpower in that you can actually focus more on what your business needs to do. And the idea is that that makes you more agile and you can roll out innovation and products and services to your customers more quickly. And serverless does run on the cloud. It is better when it runs on the cloud because it can just move, iterate, and move so fast. But I was saying about that these terminologies are are odd. And I think you know serverless. It always does slightly irk me when something's named less. You've even got sort of no SQL. It's not SQL. Well, well what is it? It's serverless. Yeah. So you know what 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 is all of that? I mean, the fact is, behind serverless, there are loads of servers. You know, all of these machine learning and uh, you know functions and workflows and events, all this kind of flowing things, which are serverless products and features. Yeah, there are a heck of a lot of servers behind the scenes, sort of like Wi-Fi. When you think of wireless or Wi-Fi in your home or in your office, when you're looking up, you see there are no wires. But behind the scenes, there are a heck of a lot of wires that are yeah. connecting all the little wireless and Wi-Fi devices. So. Um, serverless is a bunch of technologies where you can uh, try and do as little yourself 
you offload as much of the heavy lifting. Uh, at AWS, we call it undifferentiated heavy lifting. It's not going to make you any more money uh, patching servers or handling some of the huge big scaling challenges that a cloud provider can take over. And so the big business benefits to doing that in terms of agility and very clearly uh, a, a bit of focus to be able to realize, uh, work on your business logic more and uh, have costs more aligned to exactly what you need to um, provide your customers. Perfect. That's great. That's that's good to know all that. Um, so we're in the world of serverless technology now. Can you give us a, a bit of a brief history of where it started, when you both realized that serverless was the way forward? Um, yeah, like what what what's what was been like the, the key moment for you is for when you suddenly moved over to the serverless world? Well, I'll just do a quick thing on the history of serverless because that's actually quite interesting because I think as with the, the, the terms that get coined, there's always a lot of things that lead up to it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people sort of think as the term serverless uh, maybe started publicly with, with AWS Lambda, which is an AWS service where you just uh, upload some code to the cloud and we'll run it on your on your behalf. But actually when Lambda was launched, there, there was no uh, mention of the word serverless. It was mentioned, oh, well, there are no servers to manage, but serverless wasn't actually a thing at that stage. Now, there's lots of history before that. There was a company, um, uh, famous Simon Wardley, who's in, in, invented Wardley Mapping. He had a company called Zimkey in the early 2000s, which was also doing the same kind of thing, uh, code as a service and you know running in JavaScript uh, and which you could connect to APIs and all that kind of thing, and in a way that was serverless. But actually all three of the cloud providers all three of the big cloud providers and you know some of the others were actually founded on the concept of serverless. So uh, AWS's first two services were um, S3, which is all about storage, and SQS, which is all about message queues. And these came out, I think, in sort of 2006-ish 2006ish kind of time with the idea of providing cloud-based storage and cloud-based queues. And in fact, both of them are one of our, our most heavily used serverless services because as a customer, you've got no services to manage. And it's only two years later, I think in 2008, that EC2, which is our Elastic Compute Cloud, which had virtual machines where you were then actually managing individual servers. And the same is funny enough for uh, for Google and Microsoft. When, uh, Google, uh, when Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud Platform, which started as uh, App Engine came out, there were no servers that you could uh, rent. And it all came out as a sort of, at that stage, it was called a PaaS, a platform as a service, where also in a way used a framework and you uploaded some code. And uh, there were also had some managed databases, which you just consumed via uh, an API. And I think uh, I think those also came around maybe 2008-ish. Uh, my, my years may be slightly wrong, but it was only then a couple of years later when you could actually get virtual machines from Google and from Microsoft. So actually it's interesting that the history of the cloud is in fact serverless, uh, way before we think of the new serverless technologies in terms of uh, you know functions and other serverless things that came out. So yeah, my original take is the is literally the cloud was born on serverless. And just quickly before uh, Dave jumps in, when did I realize serverless was the way forward? Well, I worked in enterprises for many years as an infrastructure architect, 
and I looked after so many switches and routers and um, uh, SANs and NASs and way too many servers. And I just looked at this and thought, this is insane. This is just wasting time. And so as soon as the serverless uh, thing, and at that stage from AWS came along, and it was just, I knew this was going to be the future. I knew all this undifferentiated lifting and patching and cabling and all this kind of stuff, which I'd spend most of my career doing was um, not going to be needed anymore. And it it inspired me and uh, gave me gave me hope uh, that as an industry <laughs> we were going to move forward. Very good. Well, it's actually funny because I think serverless is a very software development term. If you look back at the this like the 60s, 70s, and 80s when there were mainframes, um, a, a lot of what what programmers did then was write some code and send it off to the mainframe to run it for them. So that to me that was just a different way of compute. It's only when PCs came in that you actually had your own hands on a computer. So really, what we're doing is we're going back to that idea of of you, you take a piece of code or you ask for something and you send it off to be to be processed. That's kind of what serverless is in a way. Um, I I I remember using S3 and Lambda and things like that, but just thinking they were part of the cloud. But probably my big aha moment was, and I remember I, I worked at, at Liberty Mutual for, for about 14 years. And um, we were around reInvent in 2014 when Lambda launched, and we thought it looked interesting. It was only then in 2015 when we started hearing the word serverless being talked about, this idea of building in a way that's kind of very you know, cloud native, that the modern way of building cloud applications, which is basically, you know, it's 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 not trying to manage your own computers on the cloud, just kind of getting compute and being very service oriented. So I think my history probably started around 2015, 2016. And then myself and the, and the yours and Liberty, like <clears throat> Mark McCann and Michael O'Reilly, et cetera, started figuring out this serverless first strategy, which we were uh, very, very successful with in, in, in Liberty, not only in Liberty AT in Belfast and Dublin, but also in Liberty Mutual as a whole. We, we drove an awful lot of change in, in, in that company with the things we were doing and, and I suppose for Sync and I a lot of thinking came out of came out of Belfast. Yeah, that's great. That's always good to hear. Um especially when it goes worldwide as well. Um yeah we were kind of we were we were pioneers more to the fact that we were uh, didn't know what we were doing rather than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um tell me this what is the main risks as well as the benefits of serverless computing? That's that probably, uh, yeah, probably maybe give just from some personal experience, but Julian's certainly the expert in this. Um, but I, I think it's been in lots of teams that started to use serverless. There's definitely a fear factor initially where people think it's a different way of thinking. And, and that is something that you need to figure out. And one of the things we'll be talking about serverless days, our event, we do have several talks where people actually talk about you know, that, that change thing they go through, they, they start using this this way of working and it's it's difficult for a while and then it kind of clicks. So there's definitely a little bit of a learning curve because because you have to think slightly differently. Um, but once you kind of get over that, I wouldn't say it's it's a difficult learning curve, but you need to think differently. And sometimes that's hard if you've been doing something a set way for the last 10 years. Um, but once you once it clicks, there's a massive amount of benefits. Um, you know, there, there's lots of famous stories, like uh, I think one of them was the uh, the, the donation service for Red Nose Day was built on serverless. It's a great example of, you know, a software system that does absolutely nothing. And then on a Friday, it just goes up to like millions of requests. 
So that's the perfect example of something that scales from zero to millions and then back down, ago, down again. And they only really paid for, you know, that one day of scale of massive amount of calls. So there's lots of what we would call traffic that bursts. Like you, you're not really sure when the customer demand's coming and then something big happens. Sometimes it's unexpected. Like you, it's, it's not a plan for event. Like it, it, if you're a new site and something big happens, you just get a huge amount of traffic. Like, you know, the BBC have a lot of their news site is written in serverless. So if they get a big event, it just spikes and they're able to keep up with that. Certainly when you're doing online systems, you're always wary of, of a spike, like a whole lot of traffic and serverless is, is, is brilliant for that. And plus you only pay for what you use. So if, if your system scales back down to low numbers, you're not, your bill is not that high. You know, so there's there's lots of um, nice benefits around being unpredictable with traffic and, and and keeping up with that. It's also nice as a as software people because you can be very experimental with how you build things and try lots of different things because it's 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 a nice way of working. But um, for me, the only risk is that it's I wouldn't say it's a risk, but there is a bit of a, a learning curve at the start. But um, again, an awful lot of engineers have looked through that, which is which is good. Yeah, I think um, I think the benefits are, you know, pretty clear. And I think Dave has some great, uh, you know, anecdotal examples of things he's worked on as well before. And even even Liberty IT, uh, you know, as amazing they have been for, from Belfast. And you know, we we look on and admire all the cool things they've done. You know, they had two different stories during the whole COVID pandemic. You know, one part of their business um, <clears throat> because they needed to pay out a lot more as an insurance company. Well, because they're using a serverless approach, could just scale up to handle, you know, whatever they needed. And then another part of the business, which was, I'm not sure if it was also insurance, a different insurance product, maybe, uh, you know, wasn't paying, didn't need to do any claims because, I don't know, people were at home or, or, you know, the nature of COVID. And so that could just scale down to, to very little. And so obviously the business that is booming can take advantage of serverless and make more money. And the business that isn't booming always is winding down, doing less for whatever reasons, this happens to be COVID, uh, because the costs are aligned, well, they're going to be paying this. And that, that sort of gets onto the bigger picture of using serverless as a way to really model the benefits to your company and the value to your company. Because a lot of the point of serverless is a lot of small different things that you connect together. You've got really great visibility into the things that cost you money, the things that don't cost you money, and you can allocate your resources and your time and your software developers and your business people to optimize uh, things as well as possible to be able to take advantage and uh, and handle the costs. In terms of the risks, um, I don't think there is an inherent risk, but there is, as Dave also says, you know, some changes you may need to do. Now, a lot of applications can move very easily to a serverless way. There's a lot of your code is ultimately portable. So if you're writing Python or Java or Node or .NET or Go or C Sharp or, if, or anything, even COBOL, you know, to refactor that code in, to, you, to run in a serverless way is actually not a big, uh, big uh, ask. But you know, let's let's be realistic. There may be some code changes that you that you need to that that, that you're going to need to do, and you know. Uh, Tooling is slightly different. Testing is different. Debugging is different. Um, and you know, as an industry, we you know day by day we're getting better at providing more insights and help with that. Um, so I think that the, the risk is more in a in a sort of developers coming and learning this new way. Um, but that's also changing. I, I spoke to somebody last week and I was trying to ask them about the you know the difference the the difference between you know before using serverless and after after using serverless. And they were like. I, I'm new. I'd never did before serverless, so this is the only way. 
and so I was, he was chatting to an older colleague of, of, of his and she had said, um, uh, was explaining how they were all doing it in a pre-service time. He was like, I could never imagine, and well, for him it wasn't going back, but I could never imagine having to take on all that extra work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point because I'm hearing lots of, some people think of serverless as a technology that will be a fad and something else will come along, but I keep, I keep explaining to people, this is how the cloud will operate in the future. So like this isn't just this isn't like a something to go away again. This is a different way of writing software, and um, a lot of the graduates coming out of college, coming out of Queens and University of Ulster, they learn this way of writing software. And again, I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were saying, "I'm not going back to do any other way. This is how we do things now. You know, this is how I've learned." So it is. It's a it's a very powerful way of working. And I like, thanks for bringing up that Liberty IT example, Julian, because I actually did a blog about that on Medium. It's called 2020, the unexpected requirement. Because sometimes things happen when you've written software that nobody ever thought of. And and, and like for, for Liberty, that was, you know, imagine if a call center would done to practically zero traffic. It had never happened in a hundred years, you know, and all of a sudden it happened. And imagine a, a small system for paying out fees ramped up to be like millions of payments so these things that nobody ever predicted but they, they literally just happen and that, that is the unpredictable nature of, of, of business and software and that's also interesting from taking that perspective of, of an existing applications how they're scaled up and down but dave alluded to it earlier it's also the cost of experimentation is so low and so you can have a developer who wants to try an idea, or it may not even be a whole new product. It just may be a little part of a microservice, for example, or a whole microservice. And they, you know, think of a new, more optimized way of running that. You know, in a couple of hours, you can literally try that out. And if it doesn't work, well, it doesn't work. Go on to the next thing. It's not, you know, filing tickets in a ticketing system in the really old way of doing things, or even in the cloud kind of thing, setting up all these network constructs and you know storage databases and all this kind of thing to try something out. So, yeah, literally in a couple of hours, you can try something out. You've got your metrics before and afterwards. If it works, excellent, move on and sort of continually iterating. That is one of the sort of new things of using the cloud is there are a lot going on and you can just keep experimenting and trying things out and your, your cost of failure is, um, is so much less uh, that that's very attractive. Yeah, there's a great story. Um, because you focus on your idea, not all the things you need to put under the hood to try and make that work. And a few weeks ago, um, there's a lot of people in business who are very excited about chat GPT and that new kind of AI service. And there was a developer two or three weeks ago who wrote a very quick mobile application that you'd write you'd write in the name of a city, like you know, Dublin. You'd say like do there for three days and it would go and work out a three day itinerary. These are all things you should go. I even stuck in like Derry and Big Belfast and <laughs> like that. And it was pretty good. Um, but he had written that in a serverless way. And there's no way you would have written an application like that, like five or ten years ago, over a weekend. <laughs> So, and I mean, there, there, there will likely be business leaders around thinking we'd love to do chat GPT, but maybe we'll do it next year. If you have the right kind of engineers, you know, they could pull something together, a prototype in a couple of days and you can see how it behaves. So there's definitely that idea of, of putting an idea or, or like an experiment and then thinking, wow, there's something in this. Let's, let's build this on their products. You, you can mm-hmm. just travel at an, an amazing speed now, way faster than even a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's incredible. It really is incredible. So, mm. 
Another question for um, for yourself, Dave, because I'm pretty sure Julian um, could have his hands tied with this one. <laughs> um, most people associate cloud providers with either AWS or Microsoft Azure um, as two of the main ones. What would be the key differences between the two providers? Ooh, the tricky one. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's the, the, the cloud is funny because there are a few market leaders, I would say, like Azure, uh, AWS and and Google, who are way ahead of everyone else, and it's like and and even I, I in my opinion, I, I've used a lot of AWS. I think AWS are way ahead of the other two personally. Um, but I think there's a lot of the um, features are, are 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 fairly comparable. You know, it's really I suppose there'll be different companies that will decide to go with a particular vendor. But what I usually find is my my best experience was always that. You're better to pick one vendor and do really well with that vendor. Like I mean, and previously we had selected AWS. Let's get really good at AWS. For me, the whole idea of thinking, let's get a a, a, a workload and we can automatically automatically flip it from vendor to vendor. That doesn't really work. That's not a thing it's called multi-cloud. It, it, it's it's a very specific thing. I don't think it works very well. Um, for me, the leading cloud providers are all extremely rich in their features. They all have really strong architectural kind of solutions and advice. They're brilliant solution architects to help help engineers build stuff. So I mean, I think it's um, there, there's there's lots to choose from. But I'm I, I can say I'm biased in place of Julian because I know he won't. I I prefer AWS hands down. There, I think it's a much better environment for builders. Well, thanks, Dave. And yeah, I mean, we're gonna try and iterate and try and do the best we you know try and do the best we can this would have been slightly more awkward uh, following on if it hasn't been aws but um <laughs> yeah i mean I, I i can't compare against the other cloud providers just just to say that you know aws we have you know many many uh, services and also you know we very we concentrate on having a lot of depth in those services as well so you know we're not we're not sort of looking at any competitors and doing a sort of tick box exercise to make sure that stuff is covered um, our big thing at AWS is very uh, customer centric. And I mean, lots of people are going to say that as well, but we always say sort of 90% of everything we build is literally due to customer demand. And I, you know, I, I hope that uh, there are many AWS customers who will say, yes, we asked for this and, uh, you know, it was delivered or it was, you know, uh, it was something happened that based on customer de demand. And then there's another part, I mean, there's a sort of 10% where we try and invent things on behalf of customers. So this isn't necessarily what our customers ask for, but maybe what customers really need. And so we're gonna, you know, we do come up with some uh, hopefully cool stuff that uh, uh, is gonna sort of move the needle and, you know, customers didn't know that would be possible, for example. So yeah, I, uh, I mean, we're always happy for people to use AWS. There's lots of choice out there, so you know we're going to try and do our try and do our try and do our best with the sort of breadth and depth of of what we've got to offer. Yeah, and I, I can certainly attest to asking AWS for stuff, and and, and things happen. They're a very customer responsive kind of organization, and as well, I'm doing a podcast tomorrow with the Microsoft person, and I'm going to say is there's the best. So just so you know. Just... <laughs> Guys, we have a lot of fantastic speakers coming to the Serverless Days event. Who would you suggest should attend? And what would they expect to learn on the 20th of February? I could probably take that. I mean, so the event is Serverless Days Belfast. And we, we ran Serverless Days Belfast back in 2020 uh, in, in, in Belfast in, in Life Church. <clears throat> and it was a great, great event. And it's really Serverless Days is a global 
event. It's community organized and it's not for profit. So the whole idea is it's it's a single day, single track. You go into one place and there's just a single track of speakers and there's usually a theme around the event. So uh, we, we were we were intended in 2020 to start a whole series <clears throat> of these events and then the, the pandemic hit, so we just put the brakes on. So we decided to kick off on the 20th of February with Service Days Belfast in the Game of Thrones studios in Banbridge. Everyone keeps saying, well, are you going to call it Service Days Banbridge now? <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll just keep the same name. Um, and really the intended audience, it, it's really all Ireland and beyond, you know. Um, and the theme we've kind of picked is what the, the, the fantasy and reality of serverless. You know, like like what are people saying about serverless? What's actually kind of happening? And how can we help? It's not just engineers, it's engineers, maybe people in technology, even people working in business. What can you expect if you want to make this transition to work in serverless? There'll be experts like Julian will talk about his, his what he thinks of is going on in the industry. There'll be a speaker there from, from Lego talking about their fantastic transformation. You've local speakers from Instill, from Liberty, from Affleck, from CME, talking about you know, their own journeys. Uh, we've got uh, Mark Allen from Gearset talking about he's a very experienced um, a Microsoft Azure kind of serverless expert. And then we've got Don Elm and um, a, a few other companies as well talking about, you know, um, again, how they have made that change because there's, there's lots of things you need to think about. So really it's it's intended to be a, a collaborative kind of inclusive learning experience so you can kind of hear these almost, um, you know, how people have gone through their journey and, and like what they would advise and what some of the gotchas. And we have a Game of Thrones tour in the middle of the day. So you can go listen to a couple of talks, have a bite to eat, and then go do the tour, talk about dragons and stuff, and then go back and, and, and hear the, the, the second set of speakers. So it'll, it'll be good fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And Julian has is, is kindly agreed to your keynote kicking off. So that'll be great. Yeah, and thanks for having me. And and also to add, you know, never mind the speakers and the you know the 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 attraction of Game of Thrones <laughs> is also as this is a community event, people can go there and really network and talk to each other. And this is probably not going to be a fight between you know House X and House Y in the center of Game of Thrones where people are going to be battling each other out. But you've got literally some of the world's like no joke, some of the world's experts in serverless who, like Dave, have written books about how this all works and have you know seen the light for many years. People are going to be there to be able to talk to and network with and speak to your peers and get the sort of you know unvarnished truth and the, the things that are going to accelerate you and the things that are going to uh, be avoided. So yeah, that's also you know a great networking opportunity with a, and with a number of people there, that's always going to be useful. And I should also probably, uh, thank you, Julian, I should also mention some of the sponsors because without the sponsors, and we've tried to keep the ticket prices really low, it's like 75 pound for, um, for a ticket, which I mean, there's pretty much 75 pounds worth of giveaways once you walk in the door. So usually these these, these events will be a few hundred pounds. Like. So I just thought we'd run through our sponsors who've been super supportive. We've got AWS, good Bizarre Voice, uh, Everquote, uh, GP, Instill, and LIT. So we've had six sponsors kind of helping us with the event. And it's, sponsors have been brilliant because you kind of come with the understanding that it is a community event. It's really to get everyone together few hundred few hundred experts so it's, it's just really good to create that sense of community and again we'll follow on we're meant to meet ups or other events in, in in the future but there is a real expertise locally here in, in northern ireland around this this technology so we really want to celebrate that and 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 
help our current practitioners get better and then introduce our new practitioners to kind of get them on that journey. It's also a super friendly community, so it's very supportive. So I'm looking forward to it. Quick question, just on the Game of Thrones aspect of it. What houses would you put yourselves in? Well, we did ask everybody to pick a house. So um, everyone picked Stark, of course. Someone put me in as Stark. Whenever I, I, I didn't even get the question, but um, someone like automatically put me in as House Stark. So I'm all for it. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, but a lot of the Starks, it didn't end too well. So watch yourself, John. I know. <laughs> Dave, not only are you an architect for Globalization Partners and the head of the organizing committee for Service Des Belfast, as Julian also said, you're also an author. What inspired you to write The Value Flywheel Effect and what can the readers expect to learn from the book? I've been busy. Um, yes, I mean, like, like I said, I'm currently with uh, Globalization Partners, GP, here, an office here in Belfast. Um, so I was at Liberty for 14 years from around 2007 to uh, 21 and we, we'd been on this fantastic journey about you know big transformation changing and, and Liberty Mutual is a Fortune 100 company so the massive change there and um, when, I, when I I then a bunch of people are kind of send to me you know you should write down the technique that, that you kind of used so really the, the, the value flywheel effect is, is when you're able to combine business and technology strategies together as just one thing and then use the cloud to really accelerate that you get this thing called what i call the value flywheel effect which is really that idea of once you get a real clear business focus with a really um, advanced technical platform like serverless things start to move really fast i mean some people describe it as a rocket ship it's not just like you're switching over different tech you're rapidly experimenting accelerating with, with how, you, how you make progress. And I saw this time and time again. So really, I was, I was encouraged to write this down. And, and the, the book's been published by IT Revolution, who are kind of, I'd say, one of the top kind of technology leadership uh, publications are based in the States. So it's been very well received, like, and we have a lot of things in there about, you know, how do you help your, your business leaders get that clarity of purpose and create the right environment to write really powerful software to use a lot of the service techniques and then to architect in a way that will be sustainable and, and give you long-term value. So it's been it's been received really well. We've got um, case studies from, from Liberty, from BBC, a cloud guru, and uh, a worker at software, a startup. And uh, they, they, they've all told kind of similar stories. It's just, it's a nice, I've, I've tried to make it a bit accessible. It's not like a super, super techie book. It's not like a, a pure technical book. It's a, a wee bit more accessible that I would say any kind of, um, change agent could, could read that and get something from it but it's it was just published there about two months i only getting all the messages from uk and, and around europe and the states and india with people reading it felt kind of quite surreal i can't really believe that uh we've written it yet but i also must must mention my two co-authors mark mccann and michael riley so three of us kind of um created that work and julian's also give us nice feedback on it so i think he's just being polite no not it's i mean i'm i even hear it's I'm holding it up. Uh, I have the book in front of me. Uh, it, it's an amazing book because never mind coming from, you know, Liberty IT, a very, uh, you know, traditional insurance company. You know, this isn't from some funky new startup that is just, uh, you know, doing doing this kind of new thing in the cloud. You know, this is an established company 
an established leader like Dave and before Sir Mark and Michael, you know, building the stuff in the real world. And what, what I really like about the book is the, the practical examples. Everything is written in a very accessible way. Um, it's not a sort of leadish, normal lead, IT leadership book that's all about the aspiration uh, and isn't grounded. And yet it isn't so grounded that it's all about the technology that you sort of land up dozing off a bit. Um, it's a sort of perfect mix between the two of how you can um, enable technology and the business together. And the, the, the narrative is excellent because so many practical examples and even every little thing that is explained um, has a, just a little narrative that is, you know, simply worded for people uh, for people to be really accessible. So, yeah, I think it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I, I definitely, it, it's still, I, I couldn't believe, and, and Julian, we've been talking for many years, and a lot of the AWS experts would give us feedback saying this is really good what you guys are doing. And of course, we've been kind of, Cynical, kind of ordinary, thinking ah, that that good to just saying that. It's only when I went to some events and you hear, you think, wow, this is actually quite interesting. What we're managing to achieve here, especially push driving this out of Belfast. So it was it was nice to be able to get the opportunity to write the book, and then again that at, at some of the feedback. So again, we're delighted at the at the at, at the feedback and the positive response the book has got. Fantastic. No, that's great. I'm looking forward to reading it myself. Um, Julian, last question of the day goes to yourself. Um, are there examples where serverless and cloud technologies may not actually be appropriate for certain sectors or industries? Or do you think it's blanket, it can be used all over the place, it's golden and good to go? I, I'm going to answer that in two parts. I'm going to say that people should think more about a serverless first strategy, which Dave alluded to earlier that rather than thinking when will serverless not be applicable, is try as hard as you can for serverless to be applicable in your environment. And I'm really not speaking about that from an AWS or even cloud perspective. I think the business value, which Dave's book and what Dave's been talking about before, is 100% clear that you are going to get more focus, more work done, um, be able to innovate in your business, be able to experiment better and have better outcomes for your customers if you use a serverless first approach. So that's where I would start with that let's let's not look at trying trying deliberately find all the ways where serverless is not applicable mm -hmm. um, and then avoid serverless at all because you maybe come up at an edge case. But then the second part of that is let's be realistic. Uh, there are very varying workloads out there. Some people are going to have workloads that need to run with extremely low latency on a factory floor, for example. And you know, at this stage, it may not be as many serverless services that is going to work with you know sub millisecond la latency next to a uh, next to a machine on a factory floor. Or you know, the regulatory regulatory environment is also trying to work out all this newfangled cloud technology. So sometimes people need to have workloads that are going to run in a particular jurisdiction or are going to be particularly air-gapped from that kind of thing. And so potentially a, a cloud solution is not going to be uh, not going to be possible. And then also pragmatically, some people are just not going to be able to spend the time and the money and the engineering effort to transition immediately. 
And maybe sometime somebody's initial moving to the cloud is going to be because they need to exit a data center business. And in this example, in you know, in this time when electricity prices are going up and things are going crazy like that, you know, there's some there's some people who are you know paying by the kilowatt hour who desperately need to just get racks out of their business because it's literally costing them in electricity double what it won before. And so their impetus for moving to the cloud is slightly different. And it's a, you know, that's a race to get off what they've currently got. And maybe the easiest way is going to be use virtual machines or is it going to be porting things initially to containers? Um, and so, you know, if they have got time to refactor and use a serverless approach, that is ultimately going to give them more benefit, but maybe they're not quite ready yet. Um, but I would say if anyone's not doing things in the cloud yet, you know, once you start, I, you know, we hear very few people who are saying, oh, the cloud hasn't worked for me, and they go back. Yes, for some particular workloads, maybe the cloud isn't going to be your, your kind of thing. But the vast majority of things, just the power, the breadth, the, the cool stuff you can do in the cloud um, is super attractive. And serverless is, I suppose, the cherry on the cake for that. It just makes things even, even easier and even better. But you know, let's be realistic. That maybe is going to take some time to get there. And it doesn't need to be all or nothing. You know. All customers are probably going to you know, use a bunch of VMs and some containers and networking and all the kind of services. And then they're going to find uh, challenges they come up to or opportunities they're going to take advantage of. And they're going to you know, do their homework, realize that serverless is a really approach uh, to do that, and hopefully achieve their um, really good outcomes with that. Mm. I, I think that's well said. And I think there is something about innovating and kind of value. I mean, a years ago, we created a blog called the Serverless Edge, and really what that's about is is if you're if you're it's less about the technology, if you are thinking, if you have that serverless mindset, it gives you an edge in what you're trying to do from a technology and business perspective. You're you're not measuring your success by how much code you wrote last week. You're measuring your success by did we deliver value to our customer, and that's that's it. It's it's lifting out of the the dev team thinking about what's the thing we're trying to achieve here. So when you have that 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 serverless edge, there's a lot of things you'll just not do anymore because you'll be kind of accelerating forward. And that's that 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 mindset thing. And um, of course the URL is the serverlessedge.com, but it's not plugged too obviously. But um, the, but there definitely is an edge to thinking in this way. And I think once once that clicks with people, it, it, there's no going back. Very good. Uh, Dave, Jillian, thank you very much for coming on to the Tech Crack podcast today. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you both at Serverless Des Belfast in Banbridge in the Game of Thrones studio tour on Tuesday, 28th of February. Awesome. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Great to chat. No problem. All the best. That's it for another episode of the Tech Crack podcast series. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune into the next episode by finding us on SyncNI.com or searching SyncNI on your favorite audio streaming platform.